Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. 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 Hey everybody, welcome back to the Anthony and Todd show. I am your new year new host, Trevor. <laughs> it's been a new year for about 13 days as we're recording this, so we're a little late, I guess. Even That's though we put okay. out two episodes this year so far. That's okay. New new show, new year, pour me a beer, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> saying it's a new year and i already want to quit the show 13 days of the year <laughs> i'm i'm still going <laughs> still going to get you a beer 13 days in the year <laughs> this is our first uh new episode of 2022 even though we've released a couple episodes we recorded them uh last year and, and i can't was... think of something more new than covering reissues <laughs> <laughs> nothing's come out yet i mean some stuff has come out we're not ready to talk about Gunna yet. Uh, this week we're going to be covering a couple of uh, albums or reissues that were put on streaming services last year and uh, we're just now kind of getting around to talking about them. They're old projects, they're projects we've heard before, but uh, with a, a few slight changes for streaming. Those projects, of course, are Mac Miller's uh, 2014 mixtape Faces. We got ASAP Rocky's debut project, uh, Live Love ASAP from 2011, as well as the Radiohead compilation. It's like two hours worth of Radiohead. You're going to be really sad. Uh, it's <laughs> Kid A, Amnesiac, and um, an, an extra like 30 minutes of bonus material on their Kid Amnesia. <laughs> I like to call it Kid Dementia. <laughs> No, it's Kid Dementia. <laughs> dementia. <laughs> no more laughing. <laughs> time to talk. Without any further ado, time for the reviews. Go for it. Mac Miller. Faces. This past year, many artists topped on the trend of releasing old projects, specifically mixtapes on streaming services, like I said. And this has been increasingly common over the past couple of years with artists like Das Racist, Chance the Rapper, and even Nicki Minaj releasing archival works that were previously only available on like Datpiff and the likes. Other artists like Drake or Megan Thee Stallion have taken to releasing carefully curated new projects full of archived material, like Drake's Care Package or something for the hotties, also by Drake. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most requested works to be put on streaming, however, was Mac Miller's 2014 mixtape Faces, which has long been believed to never come out due to its blatant sample issues. However, with those sample issues resolved, the project is finally free to be streamed along with a new unreleased bonus track. Faces is pretty widely regarded as Mac's best project for a number of reasons, and I think that that's up for debate, but I see where a lot of people come from here. First and foremost, it's lyrical content. This is Mac's most introspective record, in my opinion, and every track deals with psychosis and mortality. He's also very open about his addiction, making Faces a perfect snapshot of Mac's life. It's both braggadocious and a cry for help, which creates this wild contrast between Mac's highs and lows. Look no further than the track Friends, where Mac raps about his crazy life with his most dope family, complete with the most annoying, sneering, and taunting hook from Schoolboy Q and Mac, where he goes like, Miller Mac, Mac, Mac. Miller Mac. <laughs> if you've heard the track, it's most likely been ingrained in your mind forever until the end of time. Uh, then in the very next track, Angel Dust, and then Malibu following that, Mac's talking about how he's waking up on the pavement after doing PCP, cocaine, ecstasy, whatever the drug of choice. 
And then later on, on Ave Maria, he even tries to convince his listeners and himself that his abuse isn't hurting him or anybody else. Then he has this trilogy of tracks, Happy Birthday, Wedding, and Funeral. And all of these tracks are about how Mac is essentially going through the motions of life, just dragging himself through from day to day. He doesn't want to go to his own birthday party, which is that famous story where he stays in his studio while everybody else is partying. He's not hopeful about his romantic life, and then he stares mortality directly in the face after some close encounters with death throughout his drug abuse problems. Listening to this tape in the present day gives it this ghostly air about it. Mac is so acutely aware of his situation, and he knows he needs to get help, but that's the way of addiction. It's tough to get help even when you know that you should, and that's an understatement. Mac's death hits even harder after listening to Faces, especially knowing his cause of death and romantic shortcomings with a certain pop singer. It's immensely sad and sentimental. Inside Out starts the album with Mac lavishly striding over elegant, brassy jazz production. This is one of the most confident tracks, performance-wise, Mac released throughout his career. He doesn't miss a step. However, while Mac is confident performance-wise, the track starts with the sobering comment, Should Have Died Already, which kind of sets up the tone for the rest of this album. However confident Mac might seem, his vices still have a hold on him. At times, this album is partying in spite of death, going way beyond a there's-no-tomorrow philosophy. A striking contrast to Mac's last album, Circles, a posthumous release that shows Mac somberly accepting the phases one goes throughout life. Even though these albums cover two separate ends of denial and acceptance, they're united in introspection. On both projects, Mac is aware of what hazards his life contains. It's just that faces is more about Mac manically pushing himself to be something greater as an artist. While Circles is reserved and is well aware of what boundaries it can and should push. These are two important time periods in Mac's life, and while they aesthetically match up into two great projects, and while Mac may have matured later, the thought process of Faces followed him. And that's the most haunting thing about this album in hindsight. It's just one giant glaring red flag hitting you in the face. Even if Mac lived, this is still heavy. There's just a silver lining of optimism that he'll recover. And that makes it way less haunting and way more stomachable. Friends lingers with a baseline, but it's completely fronted by Mac's suaveness, but also goofiness. Which, like Trevor said, it will be stuck in your head despite the annoying and grating hook. Polo jeans featuring Earl's sweatshirt feels like a cutoff of Earl's I don't like shit, I don't go outside. Earl even drops the album title in his verse. The track is produced by Earl and features this hazy lo-fi organ and percussion. This isolating beat fits perfectly in this project as Mac showcases his wealth with no enthusiasm. Because while he may have nice stuff, it isn't going to fix his problems. He's still empty on the inside and no amount of things will ever fix that. This atmosphere follows through on New Faces version 2, also produced by Earl Sweatshirt. This time the organ beat rings out over Mac's attempt for a Hail Mary, almost coming through as a bit of a seasoned veteran when looking at new artists, knowing the exact pain and problems that await for them if they are unprepared to handle their baggage. Stating, well look at all these new faces, I see they come in on a plane but they're leaving their suitcases. On the other hand, I think this is one of Mac's most interesting and diverse projects sonically. He produced the majority of these tracks here, with a couple of guest production credits going to ID Labs, Thundercat, Rocky, Ninth Wonder, and Earl Sweatshirt under the pseudonym Random Black Guy. He also brought in so many artists to feature, calling upon Earl himself, Vince Staples, Rick Ross, Schoolboy Q, Sir Michael Rocks, Mike Jones, and Dash. 
Coming off of his 2013 album, Watching Movies with the Sound Off, Matt carries over his more experimental, psychedelic themes and stylings. He also uses a lot of jazzy production he used in his U project uh, under the name Larry Lovestein. Mac uses a lot of jazz and soul samples, almost fully moving away from his frat rap days of kids or Blue Slide Park. This batch of tracks features some of the most fun and most beautiful moments in his discography. Mac even tweeted when this came out that he wasn't even on Earth when he made Faces, and I can kind of see what he means. Diablo features a sample from In the Mood, the classic Duke Ellington and John Coltrane collaboration. Colors and Shapes is this immensely beautiful, completely sung track that I feel perfectly embodies the cover art for this project, as well as Mac's experiences on LSD. I almost feel like he's speaking to us from the afterlife here. There's also some really fun moments, like I mentioned, such as the Beastie Boys-fueled Thumbelina or the smooth What Do You Do. The Closer Grand Finale compares this album to fireworks, Mac going out in style. At this point, he has lost all hope in himself, saying the world will be fine without him. He finds his peace in the most miserable way possible. He wants this album to be this flashy exit statement for him. The production contains some flashy guitar riffs, but underneath it's just standard light piano and boom bap percussion. Nothing really to take away from the harsh sentiment that is being shared. That's why I think the addition of a bonus track was needed here, because Grand Finale is just too on the nose for how events would turn out. While the bonus track, yeah, isn't upbeat by any means, it features more of the somber acceptance of life songwriting that was found on Circles. A humming choir has Mac sonically ascend to comprehend existential questions, leaving the audience with a bit of hope by saying, we will survive. After listening to Mac's later work like Swimming or Circles, we've said it time and time again that Mac is crying out for anyone to help him escape from himself. However, after even both of those projects, I think Faces is the most eerie and accurate portrayal of Mac's inner demons. He's blunt about his addiction and toys with the notion of death. His relationships have suffered, but he also has his core circle of friends and family. He hates the drug and the addiction, but loves the feeling it gives him. And he's aware that he's going through the motions of life and not really living, but it's also kind of painless in a sense to do that. You don't have to think about it. Some of the comments on this music when it came out are heartbreaking to look at seven years later. His fans are worried about him. I feel like Mac is one of those artists that really has this devoted fan base that treat Mac like a friend instead of an artist, and you almost want to reach inside your headphones and just slap him upside the head like, what are you doing? Faces really cements Mac as this tragic figure for me and for a lot of his fans. Everybody can see the path that he takes from here, and it's a very grim one, but at this point we can't really do anything about it now. Ouch. Rocky. Live love ASAP. 2011 was really the beginning of a shift change in hip-hop. It saw the death of the bling era with Jay-Z and Kanye's Watch the Throne, the Beastie Boys released their swan song with The Hot Sauce Committee Part 2, the year featured debut projects from Kendrick Lamar, Death Grips, Frank Ocean, Action Bronson, Childish Gambino, Mac Miller, Schoolboy Q, Big Sean, and Tyler the Creator, and it featured artistically innovative albums that pushed the boundaries of hip-hop like Death Grip's Ex-Military, Danny Brown's 30, and Shabazz Palace's Black Up. The boundaries of hip-hop were expanding, the old regime was coming to an end, and the internet allowed for the chance for alternative voices to find their audience. Artists like Odd Futures Come Up were completely dependent on the internet as being a launch pad. Mixtapes were treated as important as full-length studio albums, and this hotbed that showcased what the next 10 years of hip-hop would be like. 
We're going to focus on one mixtape today that not only solidified an artist's entire career, but also put hip-hop in more of a hazier, psychedelic place that artists like Travis Scott would use as a starting point for his ventures later in the decade. Live Love ASAP is the debut mixtape from Manhattan MC ASAP Rocky. This faded, almost chopped and screwed-like mixtape was released as a free download in 2011. With a slower and more tripped-out sound, ASAP Rocky separated himself from the pack, making cloud rap go mainstream. And this still stands today as probably his best project. His 2013 project, Long Live ASAP, shares the same DNA but loses focus and expands outside the bubble that made him unique. His 2015 album, At Long Last ASAP, reached heavily into psychedelia, but the tracklist was all over the place performance and curation-wise, being a mess with a decent amount of hits on it. His 2018 album Testing pushed into more experimental hip-hop terrain, but lacked soul or personality for a majority of the album, feeling empty. If Rocky comes immediately out of the gate with a track like Palace, it's immediately indicative of the explosive career that the rapper would have. This track hits you in the face immediately with this grandiose beat that sounds like a leftover from Dark Twisted Fantasy. It feels like I walked into the temple of ASAP, complete with choral vocals and this echoey mind space. But Rocky doesn't necessarily sound like this aloof ruler. He's down to earth and friendly, just rapping about his worldly pleasures. Rocky's sound, as so many have said before, is so inspired by the South. In a time when every rapper wanted to be from New York, Rocky wanted to escape the influence. His body might have been in Manhattan, but his mind was in Houston. While he's traveled a little bit more into experimental territory lately, Rocky's debut primarily features lyrics based on drug use, women, and that sweet, sweet syrup. His lyrical prowess isn't really anything to write home about, but his attitude and charisma will win you over every day of the week. Live Love Aesop features production from Clams Casino, Aesop Tie Beats, Space Ghost Perp, among others. The most important name in that lineup is Clams Casino, who essentially perfected the formula for what cloud rap should sound like with his work with Little B. His production credits on here are the peak highlights in Atmosphere, really giving Rocky the necessary backdrop to float through. The production on Palace is intense but chilling, making it just the right amount of overstimulating to give Rocky enough space to lurk on the track. Bass has this distorted vocal chop that breathes air over thumping percussion. Sandman has this revolving synth that sounds uneven like it's glitched. The synth progressing never throws Rocky off, just the right amount of chaos for Rocky to quietly sing over with a hushed tone. Clams Casino's production on this tape captures that southern sound so well. Every track sounds like a slow caddy ride through the city, all slow and lazy so the track never gets away from Rocky. Production is woozy and the hypnotic and intoxicating synth loops are all covered in a purple haze. He frequently uses this classic chopped and screwed sound. All samples are slowed down to a crawl, making them almost unrecognizable, but not all is stuck in tradition. These beats are very indicative of a newly popularized internet age that they were made in, essentially paving the way for cloud rap or ambient rap, which are both genres that kind of got away from Rocky, or maybe vice versa. A track like Demons perfectly embodies this, featuring hushed vocal melodies, smoky drums, and this reversed Majora's Mask-like synth. Live Love ASAP was reissued in 2021, 10 years after its debut, remaining mostly intact besides the removal of the tracks Purple Swag Chapter 2, Kissing Pink, and Out of This World, adding on Purple Swag and the previously unreleased Sandman. I think the timing of this reissue is perfect because it closes the gap Rocky has had between testing and whatever comes next, also adding what is probably his most impressive project available to a larger audience who may have only listened to Rocky's albums. 
Sandman, a previously unreleased cut, is pretty standard for Rocky's 2011 period and fits like a glove with the rest of the track list. Rocky gives us some surprisingly good singing on the hook, mourning the loss of his friend and band member ASAP Yams with a catchy but foggy beat. As for influence, this tape has legs. Like we'll discuss a little later with our Radiohead review, it's so obvious to see which popular artists were listening to Rocky's debut when it came out. His influence has stretched so far, and I would even argue possibly took the focus off of New York hip-hop in the mainstream. This both allowed for artists like Travis Scott and Playboy Cardi to shine with their signature sounds, but also for more underground New York rappers like Droog and Wiki to come out of the woodwork to make sure no one forgot about their city. Even if Rocky has moved away from that sound himself into more experimental territory like I mentioned, his inventions are still going strong without him. ASAP Rocky evolves on the sound Kid Cudi started in 2009 on Man of the Moon, The End of Day, having a comforting, melodic presence without overexerting himself on the track. The use of hums on this is natural and seems intimate, rather than a lazy way of avoiding actually singing. Roll One Up has Rocky loudly projecting his hum. The atmosphere of this track comes from Rocky's cloudy performance. The beat itself is direct and center, large grandiose drums, flashy synths that float through the left side of the soundscape, Rocky has his buoyancy that allows him to be suspended separate from the track, proving that it isn't production that makes him, the beat works for him, not the other way around. This track has a nice amount of speed to produce these ultra-creamy Rocky verses. Demons is one of the most intense tracks sonically, providing the most hypnagogic-like weightlessness imaginable. Synths and sampled vocals create this abyss where it's hard to pick out what parts of the instrumentation are which. Everything's just blended together into one thick fog. Rocky serves as a bit of stability to the track with his verses, weighing down the track so it doesn't float off into nothingness. The newest addition, Sandman, provides Rocky delivering an absolute satisfying amount of richness from his vocals on the hook. They're so comforting and take up so much space, and the choir sample at the end blends perfectly with them, leading to a perfect reimagined closer to this project. Yay! The main draw for this new Radiohead anniversary release, Kid Amnesia, is the novelty of having the albums Kid A and Amnesiac in the same package. Both of these albums, though released a year apart, were conceived in the same recording session, and it's clear how much these projects play off of each other here. These separate albums melt and bleed together so flawlessly. Kid A is obviously the more well-known of the pair, with inclusions on multiple greatest album of all time lists and discussions. It pinpoints a time in Radiohead's career, hot off the tour of OK Computer, where Tom York and crew played pinball live on stage. 3D Ultra <laughs> Pinball. <laughs> That's cool. Where Tom York and crew were completely burned out and exhausted. Because they played too much pinball. They were too good at pinball. It just lost its flair, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> York, inspired by the music of Warp Records and Van's Warp Tour. <laughs> I don't I don't think those are the same thing. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Apex Twin must be fucking killing it on Warp Tour. The people, people mosh to Apex Twin. <laughs> York, inspired by the music of Warp Records, artists like Apex Twin and Boards of Canada, started toying around with textures and the human voice is a layer instead of the lead. With some pushback from the other band members, the group eventually learned to work together to create this emotional mess of music. This reissue is the strangest for me out of this set, and it has nothing to do with the genre or performance. The other reissues were talked about were reissued because they weren't on streaming services. They were mixtapes with uncleared samples that are originally released on the internet for free. Kid Amnesia consists of two studio albums that were readily available on streaming and physical, 
and consists some demos and lost tracks, but nothing too important. When you compare it to OK Computer, OK Not OK 1997 to 2017, the band's last re-release, in which the highlight of the reissue is having a second disc full of unreleased tracks and b-sides, the main meat of Kim Amnesia in comparison is having the two albums back-to-back in one listen. I think Amnesiac is underrated because it's low-key and had to follow Kid A, but when placed as the second disc to this double LP, it's the perfect atmospheric come-down and palate cleanse to the acid trip that is Kid A. Kid A is complicated and weird, essentially kissing traditional songwriting tropes goodbye and flavor of noodling around on instruments the members didn't know anything about. I actually think the artwork is the perfect example for the feel of this album. The natural landscape is very jagged and fake looking, just like the emotions of the band at this time period. Very human and natural emotions played out and expressed in an artificial way. It's absolutely clear to see how so many artists spanning multiple genres can claim this as a major influence. The first two tracks, everything in its right Place and Kid A feature little to no guitar or drums at all, just York's weird vocoded voice speaking nonsense lines in classic David Byrne fashion. The National Anthem features this pounding bass line before going into this blaring horn section reminiscent of Mardi Gras at some points. Ediotech then is a faux club banger, sampling from different electronic recordings to create this warehouse thumping environmental crisis song. In fact, nothing here is really traditional and that's the magic of it. Without the label pressure of releasing a traditional album after the success of OK Computer, the group used their lowest point to create some of their greatest art yet. You can feel that depression and beat down on every track. This album is extremely claustrophobic and introspective, like you're sitting by yourself in an empty room that is somehow also crowded with tons of people that you don't know. That unfamiliarity is fascinating, even over 20 years later when we've seen the results of the influence this album had on lots of popular artists. How to Disappear Completely is rejected and isolated, but so incredibly beautiful. Tom's vocals project so much sorrow over escalating strings, creating a whirlwind of emptiness that consumes you. Tom sits in denial for the entire track, rejecting that anything around him is real as a coping mechanism, using disbelief to separate his attachment from his surroundings, followed by Tree Fingers, which is this dreamlike freedom to be detached from everything. It has a constant spot on my ambient playlist, a perfect blend of soothing and haunting, playing out the benefits and disadvantages from disassociating yourself from the moment. You don't get hurt, but it's completely empty, and your problems aren't going to go away just from avoiding them, you still have to face them. Idiotech is a dystopian mess in the best possible way. Compressed frail drums give you anxiety as Tom York otherworldly moans, here I'm alive, everything all the time. Everything is happening all at once. A panic attack of fears ranging from nuclear warfare to climate change, pure electronic destruction amidst the crippling weight of panic. He also predicts the Ice Age movie. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's the Ice, Ice Age, Age coming. Ice Age coming. I think this came Ray after Romano. The, <laughs> I don't think that's the lyrics. The final track, motion picture soundtrack, is just heartbreak and epitomized. Mentioning using drugs and alcohol to induce a state of bliss reminiscent of being with a past lover, burning love letters and facing the denial of whether love actually exists or is it just a series of white lies. Tom's distant vocals completely disassociate himself from the track fading out into oblivion. Amnesiac, the lesser appreciated kid brother of Kid A, also dabbles in some of these same sounds, and not really to lesser merit. This is filled with great moments as well, and York draws from all sorts of different inspirations to form these tracks. The opener, packed like sardines in a crushed tin box, 
features this driving synth melody with industrial metallic percussion. Pyramid Song draws from some more swing rhythms and sensibilities, combined with lyrics about the ancient Egyptian underworld and also Stephen Hawking's thoughts on cyclical time. The group even experiments with stuff like trip-hop and looping with this lost Yeezus cut, Pole Polk Revolving Doors. Amnesiac, while recorded at the same time as Kid A, feels less spacey and wandering. Each track feels expertly cut and looped, like this was when York was finally able to express to his bandmates what exactly he wanted to go for. Even obviously staged songs like Life in a Glass House with jazz trumpeter Humphrey Lyttelton sounds like a completely improvised jazz or Dixieland ballad with York's lamenting on top with his trademark nasally vocals. Amnesia kicks off with packed like sardines in a crushed tin box, continuing these ideas of isolation and claustrophobia. Tom is trying to find some peace and comfort amidst this messy mindset. Excellent hollow percussion with light synth grooves and subtle guitar distortion. Small sounding but complex enough to be annoying. This lingering pain follows you wherever you go. Polk pull revolving doors is just this docile state where crunchy harsh percussion overshadows falling synth pads with odd lyrics about various types of doors which is all about the various mechanisms of sharing in our brain. There are things that we keep locked away for no one to see, there are things we share freely, there are things we share to provoke or intimidate others. But in the end, I hope the track is literal and it's just about Tom talking about various types of doors. <laughs> the doors. <laughs> it's talk- he's talking about... Uh, he's talking about breaking on through to the other side. <laughs> Hunting Bears is this naturalistic mural. Just guitar consuming up this entire track leaves you with this ringing which is comparable to being lost in the woods during heavy winds. A cold breeze follows you amidst the labyrinth of trees that surround you. Morning Bell slash Amnesiac takes Morning Bell from Kid A and reprises it. This time tirely slumping through this breakup or rough patch, the Kid A version is surprisingly more stable. The Amnesiac version feels as the band is constantly stumbling over the track. The xylophone sounds kind of basic and childish, which I like because it adds this uneven pace to the track. Like you're taking these mismatched strides, almost not in full control of your movement. The guitar is blunt and highlights the wobbliness of Tom's vocals. He sounds like he's trying to record vocals before he falls asleep. He already has one foot in another dimension. As I mentioned before, this package offers up about 30 minutes of bonus material and cut tracks titled Kid Amnesia. All in all, while not revelatory, it's interesting to see the scraps of what was left on the cutting room floor. There are two new full tracks, If You Say the Word and Follow Me Around, the latter of which is my personal favorite. It's basically a drumless, acoustic rock song sung by Tom York with auto-tuned vocals haunting the background. This easily could have been a great hit for the band or even the Violent Femmes if it was on their first three albums, but it just came a little too late. Radiohead as a band moved on from this grungy sound and weren't willing to compromise and return to this style. I think that's the most interesting part about this track and even this material as a whole. The group was so burnt out from touring and making music with their same previous style that they tried so hard to reinvent themselves. Here we see individual cuts of the strings from How to Disappear Completely and Pyramid Song, as well as alternate versions of like spinning plates and revolving doors. It allows us this fleeting glimpse into the creative process behind these two amazing albums, something I wish more artists would let us see. I was not disappointed by the overall Kid Amnesia package. These two sister albums flow together so well, and I think this is probably the most complete way to listen to the projects. Kid A being what it is, I think, puts more emphasis on the busier sounds of Amnesiac. This, in turn, makes you realize just how lonely and depressing Kid A is by comparison. Cut from the same cloth, yet flip sides of the same coin. 
Well, that about wraps it up for today's discussion on old albums. If you want to hear our opinions on new albums, you're just going to have to stay tuned throughout the year. Actually, next week we're covering an old old album, but it's just an old man on the cover. I don't know what else we're covering besides old man hits. Old man hits? (laughs) No thanks. (laughs) It's a very boomer album title. (laughs) More like hits old man. With my car. <laughs> don't, don't. Yeah, now we need to end this episode. If, if you want to follow the Anthony Todd show, I don't know why you would. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Anthony Todd. You can find us YouTube.com forward slash the Anthony Todd show. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast at. I put out an album last year, Lair Effects Songs to Aspire Creativity, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, and Tidal, which you can listen to right now. And till next time, guys, I've been Vincent. I'm Trevor. And see you, boys. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. 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 Thank you. Goodbye.